Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Seattle. All they had to do was win one more of those in their division champs. And instead they have to fly from Seattle to Tampa. And it's just, and at that point, you know, local TV, we check out national takes over, but everyone I think felt pretty deflated, especially losing one, nothing with that offense. I mean, you saw the offense, the entire postseason. to think that they got shut out one, nothing when all they had to do was win that game to win the division. You thought there's no way there, there's no way that they're going to go on any kind of postseason run. Uh, right now, especially with Scherzer being down, some other things that were going on, and uh, it was incredible. It was incredible to watch, and yeah. So, in some sense, I am still in disbelief. Were you? Uh, I should know this. Where was your? Where, where do you? Where do you park for the parade? Where? Where were your? Where's your spot? Were you on a, a float or what were you doing? So it will probably be one of the bigger regrets of my life. I live in Atlanta. I don't live in Dallas full time, and yeah. so I got late notice that we were invited to to be in the parade and and be on the float. It was like. The day before, not even the day before, but like late afternoon, early evening before. And I just, I wasn't going to be able to get there in time. You know, it was an expensive flight for me uh, just to fly in on short notice. I was already planning on going to Dallas for game six and being in Arlington. I was going to take my wife. I took my two older kids to the first two games, took my youngest out in Arizona for game four. And in a weird way, I was really hoping we were going to get a game six and uh, I was going to take my wife and then I could have been there for it. But uh, obviously it didn't happen. They won it all, which is great. Uh, but I missed the parade, um, and I'll regret it, no doubt. But I just like, man, that is a really expensive ticket to. This is about the players, right? For me, so I did not park uh, anywhere near the parade. I was uh, a few hundred miles, at least, away in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, let me tell you. So I I found out a a heartwarming thing. I saw um, John Daniels at the GM meetings, mm. obviously with the Rays now, and they they obviously he's not going to go in the parade but you know it's we've yeah. talked about this before it was tough man it was tough for him um in a lot of ways 
but they let John's kids be in the parade. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And that's not surprising. Chris Young, CY, uh, gets it, right? Those two guys were doing it together. I think the plan all along was that at some point, CY was going to take over, and and then JD was kind of back going to back off a little bit and ownership decided they wanted that to happen a little bit quicker and and of course fired first chris woodward and then john daniels in august of 2022 and you know cy was really shook from all reports like he was really taken back uh was upset about it uh, emotionally upset just because he's so close with john daniels so not surprising that it goes both ways and that they allowed uh jd's kids to enjoy nah, it because they've been cool. they've all been invested in it yeah man it's it's that's a whole nother thing but it's it's yeah how that team was constructed. We actually have on tomorrow, we have on Dayton Moore. Um, oh, great. And one of the things is, is you know, obviously he had built a World Series team. And I'm really interested to talk to him about, about you never stop learning, right? Mm-hmm. About lessons learned from how this one was built. Uh, and, and going back to it, you know, I, what I was going to tell you before, but I held it for now is that, I think we did a, one of these podcasts in January, and we were talking about the Rangers. And I think at, at some point I say, all right, I'm in. I'm in. I'm convinced. I'm with <laughs> Rangers. And I think it was, you know, we were talking about the Rangers, and we are talking about all the good things about it. I think in the back of my mind, if I remember it, though, right, I'm like, oh, but who's who's in their bullpen? What, what's going on? What's, what's happening? Uh, but still, I, I think that, like, it, it, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just, like, I'm giving myself too much credit. But I think we are, our, our um, adrenaline was rushing through our veins that day about the Rangers. So good for us. We were well ahead. Yeah. The bullpen part of it was really a story that continued all year long. I, I think people could have been asking that same question in mid-September. If you remember, the Rangers had a really bad stretch. It went four and sixteen over a twenty-game span, started in mid-August, and took them into September. And the bullpen was struggling. Everybody was struggling, but the bullpen in particular was struggling. And you were kind of looking around, saying, "Who is going to get the last out, the last three outs?" And quite honestly, even the last six to nine outs of the game, uh, Bruce Bochy did an unbelievable job. You know, he's known obviously for managing bullpens, but I think when we look back at the years that he was so successful in San Francisco, he had some arms to work with. Yeah. And there was just a lot of inconsistency and the emergence of Jose Leclerc and Josh Forrest at just the right time uh, at the end of the season made all the difference in the world. If that doesn't happen, uh, people are probably wondering, man, how could you put this team together and have that bullpen and try to get through a postseason? And they figured it out and they got hot at the right time. Well, so speaking of like, so the questions I would ask Dayton is what lessons you learned what is there anything that you learned? Like you've been around the game, you played the game, you've been around the game. And so we always try to figure out what the secret sauce is. Like what mm-hmm. is the thing that like will lead you to the promised land? And there's no one way to do it. But there is there anything that after you've gone through this, after you saw this team do what they did, you're like, okay, I have an appreciation for the way that they did X. Anything that jumps out? Sure. Yeah, I would say a couple of things. I think the one thing kind of comes from the Dave Dombrowski mold, which is get really good players, right? Get stars into your clubhouse, on your roster, on the field, and get enough of them where eventually, you know, some are going to struggle and some are going to be down, but make sure you get the right ones, right? If you go back and look at the shortstops over these last few years that it became available in free agency, the Rangers nailed it with Corey Seager. I mean, there's no two ways about it. And to see him get even better in a Ranger uniform, especially this year compared to last, you know, in 2022, he set a career high in home runs, but he did not have the kind of year that you would expect. The OPS was down considerably. And then he puts up this monster season and one that had even healthy the entire year. And there was no Shohei Otani. It would have been an MVP season 
for him. It was incredible watching him and how important that was. So I think the idea of getting stars into your uh, clubhouse on the field, same thing what they did at the deadline, right? To go out and get Max Scherzer. I know we'll talk about Jordan Montgomery in a little bit. And the one thing about Max Scherzer when he got there, he gave that team an emotional boost that for someone who's there pretty much every day didn't even think they needed. Now I'm watching this team going, they're in a good spot. They just need to be healthy. Here comes Max Scherzer, and you kind of saw everybody elevate their game because we see who he is as such an intense competitor. So bringing in stars, I think, was a big one uh, for me that I took away from the season. And then the other part, like I said to you, at the end of the regular season, I thought, nah, there's no way. It'd be great, but there's just no way that they're going on a deep run. You just never know what's going to happen. You just don't. And you have to have the right people in the right place at the right time. you got to get a couple of breaks. You know, I don't know. You probably know this, but during that really bad stretch that the Rangers had when they went four and 16, near the end of that is when Adolis Garcia got hurt. Adolis Garcia tried to rob a Michael Brantley home run and fell down, came down and, and hurt his knee and went on the IL. That was September, I believe, 8th. They called up Evan Carter the next day. Evan Carter had turned 21 years old like a couple of weeks earlier. If Adolis Garcia does not get hurt, Evan Carter's not on this team. You do not see him in the regular season. You do not see him in the postseason. It wasn't going to happen. And then he's batting third and fourth in the World Series and having these ridiculous at-bats where he looks perfectly comfortable and getting on base and setting the table and even showing a little bit of power. So there's also that part of it like, hey, you just don't know what's going to happen. At that time when he got hurt, that's when I thought the season was over because yeah. Josh Chung was on the IL, Josh Forbes was on the IL, and Garcia just went down. And again, they were 4-16 and 16 over the last 20. I was like, man, what a run. I can't believe this, believe this team might not make the postseason now. And then Evan Carter gets called up. And they, that was a tough decision for them. I don't think it was an automatic to throw him into that mix oh, and man. what a difference it made. It, 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 well, speaking of going back to what you said about Scherzer, what was jumping to my mind <laughs> was how, you know, one of the things that was praised about Chris Young was, okay, he's a player. He understands. He understands the clubhouse. And it doesn't matter what the MRAs, MRIs come back in Max Scherzer. You understand the dynamic of what that will bring. Now, I don't know if you – you know for certainty this is the vibe that this guy is going to exude. Mm. But but it, it certainly doesn't hurt. Like You've been at deadlines. You've been in clubhouses. Yeah. Chris Young has been in clubhouses. It's not just about, hey, we, you know, we like the spin rate of this guy, <laughs> and it's going to be slightly better than the guy that we're going to let go. No, it's, it's that whole package of understanding not only the player, but how the player is received, right? A hundred percent. And I got to experience one time in person when I was in Houston in 98. It was a good team that won 102 games, but we traded for Randy Johnson and Randy Johnson coming into that clubhouse in the intensity that he brought very similar in the sense that when it was game day and it was his game day, you knew it. He was a completely different guy. Uh, don't talk to him. There's going to be a lot of yelling and screaming and something that you just wouldn't see the other four days. Max Scherzer, very similar. Max Scherzer loves to talk shop, loves to talk baseball, and he's very personable the other four days. On game day, you don't go, don't get in his way. Don't make him change his pace wherever he's walking. It doesn't matter. Uh, stay away because there's an intensity there that very few actually bring to the table. And and Randy Johnson did that same thing. And for what was a really good Houston Astros team that I was on in '98, uh, that was a boost. That, and we were beating everybody. It just felt like we were winning every series. Uh, but there was something else that they needed. Now they didn't advance. They lost in that first round of the postseason. There was a great matchup between Randy Johnson and Kevin Brown. But it brought something else that they badly needed. Uh, and, and put that team in the right spot and took what was a very comfortable, good team, I think, up just another notch a little bit, knowing that the intensity had to get turned up. I was going to say, I should know the 1998 Houston Astros GM, but you're going to have to tell me. Do you Jerry remember? Hunsinger. Jerry Hunsinger. All yeah. right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> 
Good yeah, that you. was that was Freddie. That was uh, who was it? it was um, Freddie Garcia, John Halama, and Carlos Guillen. That all went back to Seattle. Like three really good players that ended oh, yeah. up having pretty good careers. That was a that was a good trade. And then Randy Johnson then went to Arizona the next year and went on that ridiculous Cy Young run that he went on in the NL. Oh, oh man, this is, I knew you had a great perspective on that. But and before we get to the case for the guy that you mentioned before, Jordan Montgomery, mm-hmm. because again we're spinning it forward the here and the now. We have to good. You'll have your ring ceremony, Rangers. Enjoy the off season, but holy mm. mackerel, you got a quick turnaround again. By the way, good for the Arizona Diamondbacks for making a trade. Like I was talking to Mike Hazen, said, How, mm. "How's this work?" He's like, "I have no idea. I have no idea how we're going to do this. I have no idea. Yeah. We're so far behind on everything." Next thing you know, they're trading for their third baseman. Mm-hmm. So, but, yeah, it's, um, it is short. I, I wondered about that part too. It, it certainly, and I, obviously, I wasn't playing, and I didn't have to be there the whole time. But participating some of the postseason. Um, activity and working a little bit, you realize, man, I can't believe we're already past Thanksgiving. Oh. Like this off season is going to fly for these players that need that recovery time, and their off season gets completely disrupted for the right reasons. And then for those in the front office, like catch your breath for a second, but get right back to work. There's still business to be done for everybody. Yeah, it's a lot. It, it it just never never stops, never ends. Well, so before we go there, I want to ask you this: the moment, like I, I saw you, you know, you get the chance to be with your family, with your kids. You know, you're wearing the the light blue sports coat. You're having a great time. You got the baseballs and boring T-shirt, which we appreciate. You have all of this. You look back. Give me the story. Give me like the not the story like I I watched Corey Seager's home run. Mm. Give me the story that you'll like say I remember this happened. Like the. So the World Series for the Rangers actually happened in the Championship Series, and that's when they beat the Houston Astros. Yeah. And understand that there was this run for a while where the Rangers absolutely dominated the Astros before they got good. And then right around the time I got there, which was 2017, they flipped that script and the Astros owned the Rangers. And I had to sit there and watch it and wear it. And even though I played for that organization, I lived in Houston for uh, almost nine years. uh, It is pretty quick that you have a despise for that organization as a Texas Ranger, even as a broadcaster. I have good friends in the broadcast booth, but this is a true rivalry. And it just you got to the point where it just felt like, man, they just they're too good. And to get down the way that they did and to go back to Houston game six down three to two, you're thinking there's no way. Again, and maybe it's me being too much of a, a pessimistic uh, broadcaster and, and knowing how things had been. You know, that series when the Astros came up to Arlington late in the year and they absolutely destroyed the Texas Rangers. They scored better than 30 runs over a three game series. They left no doubt. It was a real kick in the you know what. Uh, and I was, and you, you remember those things, even as a broadcaster, you remember, and maybe you feel them more like players are actually pretty good at compartmentalizing things and putting things behind them. But when you're a fan and as a broadcaster, you are a fan, it just, you have this, uh, here we go again type thing. And when they went down three to two, I was like, gosh, darn it. You know, Dave Raymond, my, my play by play partner had said to me, I was like, man, I don't even want to see the Astros. I don't want to see them in the postseason. Like we got to figure out a way that they win this thing that Seattle gets in. If Houston doesn't even go to the postseason, he goes, nah, I don't think that way. I want to see them in and I want to see the Rangers beat them because that would be amazing. I'm like, nah, no thanks. Don't want to take that chance because it'll hurt too much to lose. And when they were down three to two, I don't know if you saw any of the local coverage. It's really funny. These poor Ranger fans coming out of the ballpark. And just so distraught over the loss and how much they hated the Houston Astros. And again, it's been so bad these last few years. The whole thing with Adolis Garcia, the home run, the hit by pitch, the clearing of the benches. Remember, they cleared earlier in the year. There was real emotion. And this is a real rivalry uh, in our game right now. Uh, I was so down when they went back to Houston. And the fact that they were able to pull that thing off and to watch Adolis Garcia. Remember those first 
before he hit that home run, yeah. four strikeouts in the game, and he did something he hadn't been doing all year, and that he was swinging out of his ass and chasing everything. Like he was trying to hit every ball five hundred feet, and I was like, oh man, I remember that guy from two years ago. He corrected that, and now he's out of his game. And then he gets a hold of one, he hits the homer, and then it's you know leave no doubt in game seven. To me, that was the World Series. Anything else on top of that? I know you don't get a World Series ring for it. You get a championship series ring if you lose. Uh, that was the moment, though. That was the one for Ranger fans. I get it. Winning the World Series, watching Josh Spores finish things off was amazing. But finishing off the Houston Astros after losing the division yeah. on the last day of the season, knowing that even once you beat them in the ALCS, that you would be able to raise a higher flag than they're going to raise next year. That was everything. And flash forward, the, the proof of that is Corey Seager at the parade, right? Yeah. You know? The emotion from him. Right. Now, you've seen him. You've been around him. You've seen him. This guy is a, sh- a straight shooter as it comes. For nearly two years, essentially more than two full seasons with the Rangers, didn't say very much, not a lot of emotion. I respected it. Kind of stay out of his way. Let him do his thing. He's a little bit more of an introvert. No problems there at all. To see just a little bit of emotion he started to show as they got deeper and oh, deeper yeah. into the postseason, and then the reaction when he hit that home run, we hadn't seen that in two years from now. Well, 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 think about that. And obviously for him, you know, the, the Astros thing is twofold, right? Mm. It's it's the Dodgers yeah. stuff, and then it's obviously the here and the now. So yep. it was awesome. It was great. It was, it was just – it was – is like I, I love when guys who show very little emotion all of a sudden bust out, mm-hmm. and then, particularly when they get on a stage and do the old uh, – Larry Bird, Moses eats blank. <laughs> it was but, great. It was but, unexpected, yeah. and Ranger fans loved every minute of it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Jordan Montgomery. Awful segue, but what are you going to do? Uh, mm-hmm. Jordan Montgomery, was he? what surprised you about him as, you, as, as things unfolded? Uh, a couple things. One, how he ended up being such a big game pitcher. You know, down the stretch of the regular season, he made some very important starts. You know, Nate Evaldi went on the IL, and when he came off, no rehab assignment, right back into the rotation. Because, again, that was during that really rough stretch where the Rangers were 4-16. and 16. They needed a boost, and so they skipped the rehab assignment. And Nate was not good the rest of the regular season. Mm-hmm. He really struggled. That was another reason to be pessimistic going into the postseason. But meanwhile, during that time, Jordan Montgomery, there was like two bad starts in there, I want to say, at one point near the end. Uh, he had given up five runs against uh, the or no, I guess that was in the postseason a little bit. Yeah, it was uh, one a game against Minnesota. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. And we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus Minnesota, another against Oakland, where he didn't quite look himself. I'm looking at it right now. 11 runs that he allowed over two starts. Uh, I got a little concerned. He bounced back really well. All of a sudden, it's three straight starts of seven innings. And he became a big-time pitcher. He only allowed one run in those three starts when the Rangers needed him 
uh, the most. So I think the fact that he first looked at him as you know this lefty that comes in, you know he's going to be a strike thrower, going to keep the ball in the ballpark for the most part, doesn't give up home runs to lefties at all uh, over the course of his career, even though from a batting average standpoint, lefties hit him a little bit better this year uh, than the righties did. Uh, but I think for him in particular, seeing him step up in really big spots uh, is what maybe caught me by surprise. And then that continued uh, into the postseason, uh, which was kind of amazing to see. So he was really special um, in that regard. And uh, it was fun to watch. It was really fun to watch. And I was like, as things went on, I'm like, oh, this guy's making himself a ton of cash right now. Oh, my like goodness. it continued to go on. And it was really impressive. So there's a lot to pick through when it comes to, uh, you know, you have what he did. But now the question is, is he the guy that you go after? And this is sort of like we're in the what last year was to shortstops, this year is to this group of of starting pitchers. They're mm-hmm. all unique in their own way. Snell and Nola and Montgomery and and you know uh, Sonny Gray and other guys, Yamamoto, obviously. So with Gray, the case for for I mean, I'm sorry, for the case for Jordan Montgomery is like you said, big game pitcher. Also, I think he had 200 plate appearances third time through the order, which is among the league leader, which is mm-hmm. like something that every team should be looking, thirsting for to find yep. any guys to go deep. I, I I I had a podcast, quick podcast about this today, CJ. 938 pitchers were used in baseball. 938. Mm-hmm. Like that's not you're, – you're pulling guys up <laughs> who don't belong in the major leagues. Sure. But, and so you've got to have a couple guys who can do this. So yeah. I guess my question is for you, is is what we've seen from him, has he figured things out going forward and that's the guy you're going to get, whoever signs him? I think so. And you bring up a really good point about third time through the order. I'm kind of looking at some of those numbers right now. Batting average stayed about the same. I know batting average doesn't tell you everything. His strikeout rate actually went up compared to the second time through the order, it's about even where he is first time through. I know we don't necessarily look at him as a as a big-time strikeout pitcher, but I think it's worth noting and keeping an eye on that. He is, again, an incredible strike thrower, so he's in the zone. He's pitching to contact. Uh, he's looking to hopefully you know keep the baseball on the ground. It's about a league average ground ball rate, uh, but, again, not allowing too many home runs, and, again, especially to uh, lefty. So I do believe in what we saw with him. I think there's also just a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Maybe we saw that down the stretch. The way things ended with the New York Yankees and you know all the talk about not being a spot uh, in the rotation in the postseason for him or not being a postseason pitcher, no doubt fueled him uh, a little bit. I think he's got he's kind of this this gentle, quiet giant, right? He's a big guy, but there's that that part in him I think that got pushed a little bit on some of those things, and he ate it up. You know, Mike Maddox, of course, does the great thing where he comes out and kind of puts his hand uh, on the shoulder of his pitchers, and they obviously spent some um, some time together. And there was one game. Uh, where he came out and you saw Montgomery wasn't going well, just kind of pulled his arm away. Like, you know, he didn't want, he pulled his shoulder away, didn't want Mike to go. And it was just a moment I thought where there's this ultra competitiveness. They have enough of a good relationship that has some history to it. And it was just where he was at that moment, right? So I think he has some of that kind of dog in him a little bit where you will, you will see an edge. Uh, that doesn't necessarily always um, exist. He was, again, incredibly consistent, easy to believe in, right? You do worry about guys maybe when they have career years going into free agency, or is there some spike in something that happens that year going into free agency? But I believe the Rangers believe in it. I think he's going to get tons of offers. A lot of teams, like you said, after you look at those kind of top couple of guys, and Yamamoto and Snell in particular, uh, Jordan Montgomery is right there in this now second class of guys that'll be a little bit lower on the contract, still going to do really well 
uh, for himself, but every reason to believe in that what you saw from him uh, is the real deal. And I think he's a guy that's going to give you consistency, as I mentioned. And in the biggest moments you saw, it wasn't just like a couple of starts in the biggest moments, like that stretch I mentioned down uh, toward the end of the regular season and into uh, the postseason. They needed him in the worst way. And he delivered. No Nate Evaldi for a while. He was really good. Evaldi comes back. He does his postseason thing. Then it's no Max Scherzer. And without him, I mean, you can talk about a couple of pieces uh, that the Rangers would not have won without. Uh, but Jordan Montgomery absolutely is one of them. But I think that, you know, and, and it is one of the most fascinating things in baseball for me. And I say it every year. How much money guys can make in a matter of a two or three week span. It's it's but it's it's real and it's true. And with Montgomery, I guess you could spin it this way is that not only do you understand that if your team gets there, that he's not going to shy away, but this talk markets, right? Everyone mm-hmm. like talks about markets. Oh, well, you know, he didn't do that well in New York. He did better in St. Louis. Well, yeah, he was in Texas, somewhere in between. Um, so, you know, it, but it doesn't matter what mark. This is the biggest stage. This is the most pressure. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter if you're in Boston or New York or or wherever it is in July in a big game. No, you've been in the biggest games. You've been on mm-hmm. the biggest stage. Market shouldn't impact you. I know that, you know, he's maybe he's he's prepping for it by spending all this time at Boston College, you know, now with his wife. <laughs> Saw that, yeah. Dermatology school. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, so I, I think that this whole thing, this whole postseason run, to me anyway, it's like this not only made him a lot of money, but if I'm signing him, you should make a lot of money. Yep, I agree. And you know what you're getting. Again, you're going to get a guy that fills up the strike zone. And maybe that's the one thing, right? You look at the strikeout rate, and perhaps you want to see that higher when you start talking about a nine-figure deal for a starter. But I think he knows how to uh, pitch to contact, looking you know, really quickly and seeing only two games in which he had more than 10 strikeouts. It's an 11-strikeout game and a 12-strikeout game, and those were in, both in 2021. And he did them as New York Yankees. Like, I don't buy into anything about New York. He had some good years there, right? That first year coming through that system was a really good one for him in 2017. He made 29 starts at a 3.88. And even the last year, 30 starts with a 3.83 in 2021, the last full year that he had uh, in a Yankee uniform. So I, I think he's fine in the biggest moments. I didn't see anything with him at all that made me wonder a little bit. Was he uh, going to wilt a little bit in markets where there's a lot of pressure, a lot of questions, maybe guys poking a little bit and, and prodding and pushing? That's a no, a, a no for me. I think he has no issues with it uh, whatsoever. Uh, but you're not going to get a ton of swing and miss. That's why he's so opposite of Blake Snell. Blake Snell, of course, we know, led the league in walks, but the strikeouts were ridiculous. And the slider and the curveball combination, uh, the way he got guys to chase and the rate of swing and miss was incredible. So from that standpoint, I think if you're building a championship caliber uh, rotation, a perfect spot for him is three if you're deep. right? He can pitch at the two spot if you need it. But, I mean, if you're deep enough where he's three, then I think you've put together a really good team, uh, one that can do damage in the postseason. Now, you also have to match him up. I think it's really important. Uh, I always go back to the Oakland A's a few years ago when they still had Matt Olson and Matt Chapman and that great defense that they had there and thinking about what kind of pitching staff they put it together. They didn't strike out a lot of guys either. They made sure they had guys behind him, uh, their starters that could catch the baseball and do it well. I think Jordan Montgomery will will rely on that. You know, the time in St. Louis, St. Louis last year, uh, they were a disaster defensively. Now, he still had good numbers, uh, but they were somewhat of a disaster. I think that you got to look for a team that is going to be at least average to above average defensively to get the most out of him. 
right? Trade rumors is saying six years and $150 million. You're going to put that kind of investment in Jordan Montgomery. Don't give him a big slugging team that can't catch the ball behind him. That's not yeah. going to work. You're not going to, you're not going to max out your value. That's a great point. It's an outstanding point. And it, I guess so that sort of negates a question I had for you, which I love power rankings, but you know, CJ Nikowski's power rankings of guys that you would want, these stars that you would want to go after. Um, and maybe part of it now is with a caveat because it's, I think it's a good point by you. Depends what team you have. They're mm-hmm. all, what's fascinating is they're all different. Even, even Yamamoto, we had on um, Lance Brzezowski, uh, who did a great breakdown of Yamamoto um, mm-hmm. about, and you know this too, the from Japan. I mean, this is the differences in Japan, the adjustments in Japan, and there's all Senga had to adjust. Senga had a great year, but he had mm-hmm. to change how he pitched a little bit. So it's not just and everyone's going to immediately go to Yamamoto because of his age and because of his dominance in Japan. But I'll just say to you, like, so what pitchers do you like? What if you say I'm going to go out and get a pitcher? I, this mm. is say for argument's sake, you have a good defense. So how would you power rank the pitchers? And you can throw in the guys who've already been signed, Nola and and Sonny Gray and, and mm-hmm. Maeda, if you want. So, yeah, the way I kind of ranked them, I had Yamamoto one, even though there's that little bit of the unknown. Snell two because of the swing and miss. Again, he can pitch from the number one spot. Uh, I had Nola three, Gray four, uh, and I'm just looking at I have in front of me, Montgomery five. It, but they're like you said, there's different ways you get there. What does your team look like right now? Do you need one more piece and you can go ahead and take a shot at one of these $200 million pitchers? And that's, you know, just Snell and Yamamoto probably. Uh, do you need multiple pieces? If you need multiple pieces, the guy that I think is going to be sneaky and bringing a lot of value is Seth Lugo. You know, mm. both Seth Lugo and Nick Martinez both went to the Padres with the idea that they wanted to have a chance to start. Uh, Nick Martinez, in the way his contract was structured, got to start a little bit. They put him back in the bullpen. He's still a valuable guy. Seth Lugo was the one uh, that got the consistent starts. He did miss a month. That was a little bit of a calf strain, and he is 34 years old. But he answered the bell in a big way. Everyone thinks that they can start and feel good about it, but can you actually go out there uh, and do it? And, uh, you know, as far as predictions go, it looks like three years, again, according to trade rumors, I trust them. They're usually pretty close uh, for the most part. They do a nice job with that. So at three years and about $42 million, I think that's going to be a nice ad. He is 34 or will be 34 on opening day. So that's maybe one thing that uh, you don't love necessarily where Jordan Montgomery, Eduardo Rodriguez, they're younger. Uh, Rodriguez, I think, is also an interesting guy. And I know obviously you guys had him there uh, in Boston. But I think that the secondary guys, there's some really good uh, opportunities. But I just Lugo was the guy that I started to believe in uh, after he kind of bet on himself a little bit. I, I wanted him as a reliever for the Rangers last year, quite honestly, because he's so good in that role. But he wanted the chance to start. He got it. He took advantage of it. Um, but you know, as far as the top guys go, and you know, as we know, Nolan Gray are now gone. Um, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see where they all end up. But there's there's some good ones out there. But you're not going again. You're not going to sign Marcus Stroman if you have a bad defense behind you, right. right? That's a waste for a heavy ground ball pitcher. That's kind of a simple one. You know, Michael Waka hanging in there uh, and bouncing back. He'll be oh, 32. He finished strong, years old. man. He finished strong. Yeah, that's another one. So there's there's some good ones out there, and you know, teams got work to do for sure. And uh, hopefully things pick up a little bit. Man, it's been slow. Well, you know, I, I'll say this about you know St. Louis. Obviously, has been at the at the forefront when it comes to getting yeah. starting pitching. And I'll say this: like, okay, here's how I'll spin it to give them a compliment: is that you you got three guys who had 32 starts or more mm-hmm. in Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, and Sonny Gray, and 
And people say, oh, well, look at, you know, you got guys in their mid-30s and Lance Lynn is coming off a bad year and Gibson is what he is and and Sonny Gray, maybe he's not the top of the rotation guy. But all those guys made 32 or more starts and all mm-hmm. those guys usually, and people don't say that about, someone said this about Sonny Gray the other day. I'm like, no, actually he did pitch. He actually was very pitch efficient. He actually yes. did pitch semi-deep in the games. Mm-hmm. And when you're dealing with 938 pitchers in Major League Baseball, if you can find three guys that can give you 32 starts, then all of a sudden you don't have to start dipping down. Maybe yeah. I'm overthinking it, but I'm I'm going. No. There's value. Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson in particular, and even Jordan Lyles. I know you look at his overall numbers, you're like, my goodness, what a brutal ERA, but he's making his starts and he's getting deep in games, and there's value in that. I didn't realize this until today. I knew that they struggled in St. Louis. We kind of stopped paying attention to them about halfway through the year. Their starters posted a 5.08 ERA. Uh, That is the worst of any full season in their franchise history going back to 1906. For their starters, that's as far back as I could look. They had a slightly higher ERA in 94, but we know that wasn't a full season. And so to think about the history of that organization going back that far and saying last year was the worst ERA their starters have ever had, you got to address it. Even if it's like ah, kind of you know lukewarm moves, at least for the first two, they're serviceable guys, like you said, that are going to make their starts. Sonny Gray is an ace, and he'll pitch at the very top of the rotation, and they should be decent enough. They probably, as a group, I know it's going to be more than just those five, but realistically, they're going to give you closer to league average production. Now it becomes about, and their defense was bad last year, play good defense, and you got to score more runs. So they need to have another move in them. I know uh, Mosaic was talking today about a little bit uh, about the offseason being fluid and knowing they still have other things to do. For me, that's addressing the offense, uh, perhaps cutting bait with a couple of guys that just it hasn't worked out, and uh, trying to score more runs and give me league average starting pitching. You can win with league average starting pitching if you're doing some other things really well, and I think they'll get that, and they'll have an ace that can match up with others for sure in Sunny Gray. Well, well, well you're already I appreciate it, CJ. I appreciate your <laughs> Thank time. You. And it's, it seems like yesterday we're standing on the field and you were yeah. so gra- so graciously holding up the baseballs and boards. No. It, it didn't match at all with your light blue sport coat, but that didn't stop you. There's at all. a little Texas red in there. Plus, you know, my my kids hijacked both of those shirts. Of course, well, we got we have more in the way. The whole the whole family. It's fun for the whole family. It Thanks, is the man. whole family. Thanks, Rob.